Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely absolutely ridiculous and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin 54 degrees outside my regular producer grew back after what a week or two off or something like that three so you went to the baseball game last night as well yeah that's right and you but you did you did not stay to the bitter end you you bailed after the seventh inning no i was i was short on sleep from the trivia contest from the weekend and once we saw the third home run from yelich Kaylee and I said that's that's good enough. And, and yeah, right. And, and once you started looking at the clock, thinking, "My God, is this thing ever going to end?" Yes. It's, yeah. yeah. No. Thanks. No. I'm going to say it because I. And all the, look, it was a great game last night. All right. The Brewers win ten to seven. Christian Yelich has you know a, a like a career night. Three home runs. Two three run home runs. You know. Um, it was just it, it was an outstanding game. The result was right. Uh, Lorenzo Cain makes another one of his great catches to take away a home run. All of which is great except lost in this and again nobody wants to comment on it the game was almost four hours it started at 6 40 it didn't end till 10 30 and I, I don't and look and, and part of the problem is nobody can pitch the brewers player the brewers pitchers can't pitch the cardinals brewer players can't pitch there were 11 or 12 walks and 17 runs and 20 some hits nobody can get anybody else out and it, it's all the walk so it's not just the question of you're sitting around, but you're just sitting around and nothing's happening. Walk, ball after ball after ball. And, and it is a problem. And it's, it's a problem I know that baseball purists don't want to address. But I'm watching this. It was, it was a good crowd at the start of the game. They had around 30,000, maybe slightly less. But by the end of the game, maybe 10,000 because everybody's leaving. They can't sit that long. Football games don't take four hours to play. And this wasn't like a lengthy extra inning game. This was a regular game on a Monday night. I'm watching all these kids, and they're getting hauled out. They're sleeping. I, I don't know what exactly the answer is other than to say that you 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 can't hold fans' attention big time if it's going to be four hours at the park. And it's But, again, all's well that ends well. The Brewers end up winning. My cautionary tale, again, is I know people want to pretend that they don't have an issue with pitching. And, again, they, they won last night, but you're not going to get to the World Series winning games 10-7. to 7. And that's, again, part of the big problem that I think is apparent to a lot of people. But it was a good game. All's well that ends well. Got home about 11.30. My wife said, where were you? <laughs> I said, well, I did, what, didn't the game start at 6.40? Did you guys go out for drinks afterwards? No, we didn't go out for drinks afterwards. Believe me, we got out of there as soon as the game ended. All right. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. If you want to get a head start on some of the things we're going to talk about, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 And as a matter of fact, our first topic, I, I sent out a tweet about this. And courtesy of um, Fox 6 in Milwaukee, I, I have a video um, of – I'm going to describe what happens, but I have a video of this. They, they have the video that they've gotten from the bus company that shows you what happens here. Now, this, this altercation happened a couple months ago. 
The bus company ended up firing the driver, and right now, relations between the bus driver's union and the bus company is at really at an all-time low. And one of the things that is a sticking point is a lot of the bus drivers are very upset that this particular bus driver got fired for this. Again, if you want to see the video of it, courtesy of Fox 6, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 But here's, here's what happens. Woman is driving a woman it's a female bus driver and if you're a regular listener of this program you know that i you couldn't pay me enough to do that job i mean you want to talk about a thankless job yeah i'm sure some of the passengers are wonderful and it's great to be around but you know this is one where your day can go bad in in a hurry so what happens is bus is packed woman is female bus drivers driving and you can see this in the video Another woman gets on on the bus, and she's she's something to do with a transfer, and the bus driver is like, um, "Okay, that that's fine. Just you know, here here, just go sit down. We we got to go." And the lady wants to ask a question of the bus driver, so she stands there and she keeps talking to the bus driver, and the bus driver says, "Okay, you you got to sit down. You you got to go sit down because she's she's got to go." And the lady, the passenger, says something to her. I, I think she's kind of sarcastic and says, well, thank you very much. To which the bus driver, and sounds like she's not having the greatest day either. The bus driver then says, well, you're welcome. So she smarts off to the passenger. And I think the bus driver in this regard is clearly wrong. All right. She just, she engaged with this passenger. But at that point in time, after the bus driver goes, well, you're welcome, and you can see this, and it's all on the videotape, the passenger comes back and starts screaming at the bus driver. Now, the bus driver has this little sheet of plexiglass, but you, you can you know, you know, can kind of get to her. So the woman, and she's got a can of soda, and she, I didn't know they let you bring cans of soda on the bus, but that's another story, and she's like screaming, and then, so she's screaming at the female bus driver, the bus driver starts to scream back, and now they're yelling at each other, at which point in time, the, the woman woman passenger starts saying come off the bus you you get off the bus <laughs> you know like like let's go out and fight and the bus driver's going no you have to get off the bus so the lady after and you can see this exchange it takes about a minute and a half the passenger gets off the bus and then starts kicking the door all right at that point in time she gets back on the bus and she has this can of soda that at close range she throws at the bus driver all right and so soda goes flying all over. You can see the can bang against the window behind the bus driver. So she gets soda on her, and the bus driver grabs the can of soda, and she throws it back at the woman. And so the exchange goes on for another 15 or 20 seconds. I mean, it's just they're screaming at each other. Ultimately, the lady gets off the bus. This would be the passenger. Bus driver pulls away. She pulls about half a block and then comes to a red light. Now, the woman who's been tossed off the bus, she's following the bus. She comes up on the other side of the bus driver. So now she's out in the street and she's screaming. The bus driver screaming back at her. A police officer comes in and that's where the videotape ends. So you do have this bus driver that has engaged the passenger and and maybe arguably maybe with her snippy response at the beginning, you know, begun this whole thing. But clearly you've got an out of control passenger. Ultimately, they issue no charges against the lady, the passenger for disorderly conduct, but the bus company finds out about this, they fire the bus driver. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can see the video, but I think I've pretty much accurately described what happened. She's been fired. 
number of drivers at the bus union, the driver's union, extremely upset about this. Bus company says, well, she violated our rules. You know, this is, you know, we, we expect we expect a better degree of public service, etc. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, the bus driver might have been a little bit wrong here, but I have to tell you something. Watching this video and given how tough this job is, I think firing her was a complete and total overreaction. 414-799-1620. All right. The bus drivers, I mean, do they really have no rights? And when they are verbally and then physically assaulted by passengers, I mean, should they risk losing their job? 414-799-1620 if they respond. Should she have been disciplined? Okay, I, I understand that. Should she have been counseled that this isn't how we respond and deal with this? Absolutely. And I think the female bus driver would acknowledge that. But she lost her job. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Bob in Muskegon. Hi, Bob. Hi there. Good afternoon. What do you think? Okay, the bus driver clearly having a bad day and arguably escalates the confrontation. Should she have been fired? No. Um, The reason why I say that, I drove public transit for 17 years in a city that was about 125,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, As you first start your career, it's a bid process on your route. So normally you end up getting nights, uh, some days that are in bad areas of town. So you could either have a route that people are happy to be on your bus for eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. You could have another route where you spend your day stopping the people that are trying to skip on the fare, stopping the people that are trying to sneak in the back doors, people are going out the door, Um, stopping fights, stopping people from eating. I think most transit companies have a policy of no eating and drinking because it only creates a mess. Well, right. I mean, she's getting on with an open can of soda. What what good is going to come <laughs> from this? And, and as it turned out, the passenger used it as a projectile and throws it at close range at the bus driver. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and I understand 99% of the people are going to drink their pop, take their can off, but it's that 1% that leave a half a can on the seat when they get off. Right. And then, and then that spills. So that, you know, that makes the rules that we have to try to enforce. And while we go through our training, I mean, we're, we're taught to try to diffuse the situation, but it, it beats you down. I, you know, my first five or six years, I was that employee that, that stuck to the rules. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Mm-hmm. You're not sitting on my bus without paying a fare or the full fare. Right. Um, but after a while, you know, when management doesn't back you up, you're like, whatever. Right. I'm here to drive for eight hours. Whatever happens, I don't. I'm not going to see it. Well, right. You know, and I guess I, I just don't think it's fair to judge any of us by like our worst day. <laughs> we and I don't right. care whether you're, you know, Bob. I don't care whether you're a, a bus driver or a radio talk show host or an insurance salesman or, or what. We all. We all have kind of those days and kind of those moments where you sit back and you say, "Okay, I didn't handle that very well. They just caught me at it just caught me at the wrong time." And exactly. 
I, I mean, no, thanks. For, I guess I just look at this and I think this woman is being I'm talking about the bus driver is being judged by, you know, her reaction. They, they clearly caught her on a bad day. You know? <laughs> OK. And and, and 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 you watch this videotape. And first of all, you, you see the, these bus drivers, I think, are very much exposed. I think the bus drivers union, whatever you want to think about unions, I think they have a real fair comment on on safety because they're just exposed. This lady's behind this plexiglass. You've got this. And and did did the bus driver maybe escalate the situation? Okay, I'm, I'm willing to concede that that yes, yeah, she she had a snarky response when the passenger was snarky to her. Okay, I, I get all that. She didn't handle it in the best way. But at that point in time, when you have some crazed person who's screaming at you, get off the bus! I want to fight with you, and takes their soda can and throws a can of soda at you at close range. All right, well, I, I understand why, you know, it's then going to be escalated even more. What I think is interesting is why the passenger in this case wasn't charged with disorderly conduct or assault or, or whatever, and it's the bus driver that ends up getting fired. It seems to me you're victimizing the victim in this case. Andy and Muskego. Andy, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing today? Real well, thank you. What do you think of this? You know, um, I was uh, glad to hear you say, um, you know, I'm... I don't think anyone really notices, but yeah, when you throw a soda can at someone, that's assault. Yeah. And the fact that that's, you know, the bus company's turned a blind eye to that, I think is really, really crappy of the bus company not to have their, uh, their person's back. And, um, like you had said, being a bus driver is such an underappreciated job. And the safety and things they have to deal with is, I mean, obviously, the danger of being a bus driver has really increased. I mean, you see videos like this all the time. Right. Someone comes on the bus, they're drunk, um, or, I mean, someone gets in a fight with another passenger, and all, all this is going on while they're driving. Yep. No, you're no, you're right, Andy. No, thanks for calling. No, you're you're right. And and of course, keep in mind, you know, the the bus company again. Can you imagine what you're dealing with. The bus company has a policy that if you don't pay, they let you get on. I the, the New York Times had a story. New York City, the buses. Their estimates are right now that one out of every five riders doesn't pay. They just get on. And the the instructions, just like in Milwaukee, is well, don't provoke anything. If they don't pay, you can ask them once, and then you just you just let them ride. It's one of the reasons, by the way, that you know for the Tom's trolley. Mark my words. My prediction is they will never. We will never ever make people pay. That's just they're 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 not going to do it because they don't want to deal with the people who won't pay and etc. But but I mean it, it's tough. Now look, I watched this videotape and I will be honest. My reaction was, all right, this is an employee. You caught her on a bad day, and did she handle this thing completely appropriately? No, she didn't. Did she escalate the confrontation? Yes, she did. But do you fire her? No. What you do is you whistle her in and said, look at this. And, and I think, you know, she, she acknowledges this. I've got some links to story. She says, look, I understand. I, I, I just, I was a little bit, you know, I, I didn't handle this right. I was stressed out. I'd been working all these extra hours. I was wrong in the way I dealt with this. So what do you do? Well, you counsel her. Maybe you suspend her for three days or whatever, but you don't fire her. And actually, you will see all these stories because right now, relations between the bus drivers union and MCTS, very, very strained. They're arguing about contracts and things like that. But part of the underlying issue, one of the pebbles in the shoes, is the fact that you have a lot of bus drivers who don't believe that the bus company has the backs of their drivers, and they're looking at situations like this as evidence of it. And you know what? I understand why the union feels this way. This is Jeff Wagner.
Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. There are some stories that I, I have to admit, when, when I start thinking about discussing them with you, I, I just I can't get the image of my mother and father out of out of my mind. And, and this is perhaps you've seen it. This is one of these stories. It was a federal lawsuit that was filed a day or two ago. Here here's the deal in in shorthand form. There is a guy who I believe it, it's kind of tough to find his age. They call him they call him Charlie in the lawsuit. That's 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 the name, Charlie. Charlie moves back in with his parents. Uh, a while ago after getting a divorce. So Charlie is from Indiana. He His wife tosses him out. We'll probably have an idea as to why his wife tossed him out in just a minute. But Charlie moves back in with his parents where he lives for about 10 months or so. So Charlie brings all his stuff back with him after he has been thrown out of his house. And he moves back in to, to his parents' house and he's got all his, his stuff with him. Among the stuff that Charlie has with him are 12 boxes, big boxes, full of pornography. You see, because for apparently the last 20 years or so, and again, I'm, I'm, pic- I'm just picturing my mom and dad trying to have this. Okay, so you, you move, he moves back in, and he's got all these boxes, and he's got box after box after box, which is full of porno movies that he has been collecting over the years. Now, apparently, this has been a source of concern because back years and years ago, when he was in high school, he got into pornography, and his father got really, really hacked off at him, and apparently the kid got either tossed out of high school or something like this. This was years ago because of the pornography, and the the father's like, hey, you're ruining your life with this stuff. So, all right, now flash forward. It's a number of years later. Charlie's been tossed out of the house. He moves back in, and along with him, he brings his prize collection, boxes and boxes of porn. So, and boxes and boxes of movies. Apparently, there are also two boxes of sex toys. I don't even want to go into that. So... All right, so Charlie lives at home for several months with mom and dad, and then all that the it's described at is a d- domestic altercation, and um, the parents throw Charlie out. Charlie thrown out of the house after police had to be called to the house in August of 2017 for what is being described as a domestic situation. Don't know exactly what happened, but they toss him out in August of 2017. All right, you got to go. So Charlie, Charlie's thrown out of the house. He leaves. He finds himself. He moves back to Indiana, finds himself in another apartment, an apartment in Indiana. But he leaves all his stuff behind at his parents' house. Well, a few months later, this would be like November of 2017, the parents pack up all Charlie's stuff and they go to his apartment in Indiana and they drop off the stuff that he had left in the home. But, 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 missing from the stuff that they have dropped off is Charlie's massive pornography collection. So they haven't dropped off all the dirty movies and things like that. So Charlie says, hey, again, I'm, I'm trying to picture having 
th- this conversation with my mother and father. <laughs> you know, it's just if they hadn't passed away, this conversation would have killed them. I guarantee it. Hey, mom and dad, where's my porn? You know, where, where's all the porn? At which point in time, the parents say, "No, we 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 destroyed all of this." Um, we counted 12 moving boxes full of pornography. 12 moving boxes full of pornography, plus two boxes of sex toys. We began the, the process of... We, we began, as soon as we found this, we began that day the process of destroying them. And by the way, it took us quite a while to do so. So yeah, we, we, we torched all this. And the father says, yeah, I mean, the father says, look, I have been telling you for you know the last 20 years that part of the reason that you're messed up is because you've got this obsession with porn and yes that i've been telling you this since you were a kid and i'm telling it to you now and so yeah i mean the father says one of the reasons we destroyed this was for your own mental and emotional health i would have done the same thing if i found a kilo of crack cocaine someday i hope you will understand now, the kid doesn't understand. The kid says, if you had a problem with my stuff, you should have stated that at the time, and I would have gone elsewhere. Instead, you chose to keep quiet and behave vindictively. Okay. At that point in time, Charlie then contacts the prosecutors, the, the, like the DA's office in Michigan, and says, Mom and Dad destroyed all my porn. I had $30,000 worth of porn, and they destroyed it, and I want them charged criminally. At which point the district attorney says, no, we're, we're not going to do that. Well, then Charlie, not satisfied with this, reaches back out to the investigators. He sent one officer 44 different emails listing all the different movies that he said were destroyed, including many that he says were valuable out-of-print films. Not just out-of-print, but the entire studio making it dissolved. That was 20 years ago. This was a pornography classic, don't you know? So he sends 44 emails to the investigators. They say, sorry, we're not issuing charges. So, earlier this week, this is why we were discussing it, Charlie finds himself a lawyer. They trot into federal court. They are now suing the parents. Charlie wants $86,822.16 in damages. Charlie says, my porn collection was worth approximately um, 28000 and change. And I want treble damages, triple damages for mom and dad destroying my porn collection. 90, so approximately, like, again, 86 grand. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is interesting to me for a, a number of different reasons, including Charlie obviously has no self-respect. But that, let's put that aside. All right, here's the deal. Charlie has moved in with his parents. He's moved all his stuff in. They apparently didn't know that he had all these moving boxes full of pornography until they're going through the stuff, getting ready to, to bring his stuff over. They find them and take it on upon themselves to destroy it. All right, does he have a case? Should the parents have been able to destroy throw away, destroy his pornography without his permission, and should they have to pay? 414-799-1620. I will tell you where I come down on this, but I'm curious as to what you think about this situation. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. My favorite text of the day so far, Charlie writes, 
Um, I'm sorry, Stephen Greenfield writes, Charlie needs to find a new hobby. Well, you could say that. I, I think we, we have perhaps some insight as to why his marriage perhaps broke down if he's carting around 12 moving vans full of pornography, moving boxes full of pornography. But the bottom line is mom and dad say, hey, we did this for your own good. We threw out all your porn. He is now suing them. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Appleton. Hi, Dave. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? <laughs> Real- let, let me start with you. <laughs> I, I, I now feel like I need a shower. Yep. You. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, but, man. But having said that, and as a landlord, unless there's a paper trail where they gave him 14 days to come and pick this stuff up, you can't just throw people's personal property away, be it a TV or a box of porn. Okay. Now, is there a difference? Now, obviously... You know, if if you're a commercial landlord, you know, you're, you're right. There's all sorts of hoops that you have to jump through and things like that. Is it different, perhaps, because he, he wasn't really renting a room from them? He had moved back in with his parents. So it wasn't the typical tenant, you know, landlord relationship. No, well, I think by the law, it's going to kind of come out as a tenant-landlord relationship. I mean, he's an adult. Mm-hmm. I mean, if he was under 18, okay, yeah. Right, sure, yeah. He can do whatever he wants. But where he's over 18 years old and his stuff was that you have some sort of responsibility to, you know, you let him bring it into the house, the boxes. Okay, you didn't know what it was. And at that point, you should have, you know, when you found out, said, hey, you got five days or whatever to get rid of it. Right. So you can't just indiscriminately throw it away. I Even if it's I, for his own I good? Mean, Mom and Dad say, well, we think this stuff's been ruining his life, and so we took it upon ourselves to get rid of all the stuff. Yeah, I understand the moral aspect right. of it. I'm just strictly, I mean, I think it's a waste of time going to, I mean, of the court's time, but. You think he might I have a case? a case? Okay, no, thanks. Yeah. That that was, that's the question that we are discussing. 414-799-1620. This is in, believe it or not, you want to talk about making a federal case out of it. This is, this is in federal court because he's an Indiana resident and they're Michigan residents, so you have. Uh, again, that diversity of citizenship, diversity in that they both live, they live in different states. Ron and Fond du Lac. Ron, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me on. Sure. What uh, do you think? I agree 100% with your previous caller, but I want to add to it a little bit. Um, first of all, get determined if it's legal to have it in the state of Michigan. If what he collected was legal, then I think that they should have warned him, sent him a letter, given him an ultimatum or a time to come and get it. And third, I don't believe that he should be reimbursed three times the value. I think that if he if he goes to court, it should be just for the face value. Right, uh, and and I guess I I wonder <laughs> I, I wonder if there's experts in that area. I mean, how do you assess the value of VHS pornographic film tapes from you know from 25 years ago? I I, I mean I, I'm completely out of my depth on this one. <laughs> yeah, no, no, thanks for right. I mean, I mean, how how do you assess it? Okay, our first two callers out of the box both say no, no. They they think that the parents didn't have the right to destroy the the kids' property that he left in the house without at least telling him that they were going to do it and giving him notice and a chance to go collect it himself. 414-799-1620. Paul in Illinois. Paul, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking it. Sure. What do you think? It doesn't make sense anymore. But I have a question. Can't the argument be made that he abandoned the property since he didn't take it with him the second time? If it was of such value, he should have taken it. If not, it could be argued that he abandoned it. 
Right. Uh, now, of course, that might be undercut a little bit by the fact that they they returned other stuff to him. I mean, they did uh, yeah, they bring back all the other possessions. Yeah. But they're gifting the other stuff. And uh, do you really believe he was paying them rental? Yeah. Like he, rental storage for that? I'm oh, right. Sure there was no contracts there. Yeah. He acknowledges that he wasn't paying rent. He says he says that I was staying with them and I was even though I wasn't paying rent, I was doing some chores around the house or some something you know, like that. Storage locker. You're not living in a storage locker. But right. again, I think he abandoned it, and I think the argument could be made that they were gifting the other stuff back to him. Do you think the parents did the right thing in destroying the stuff? I mean, he is an adult. I do. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, okay. No, you don't. Think, no, think, no, you don't have to apologize. I mean, that, that that's what the. I mean, that's what the dad says. I mean, see, I, I think it's going to be tough. Maybe you can legally argue abandonment, but it's it's very very clear that. Uh, I mean, the dad the dad says, "Look, I destroyed this. I think this is." I mean, I kind of read between the lines, and I get the sense that, you know, mom and dad kind of view their son as, I don't know if a disappointment, but kind of a screw-up. And dad clearly believes that this goes back to the kid's fixation and fascination with pornography and things like that that dates to high school. I ain't saying that. I said, look, I, I told you back then you were ruining your life, and I still believe that you're ruining your life, and I hope that you are going to thank me now. All right, so what is my assessment of, of this other than just completely and totally <laughs> just a, a bizarre situation but here's i mean here's here's the deal on this i i think i think legally the kid might might have a a case to the extent that um yeah the parents uh d- the parents didn't give him notice i i think the fact that they they brought back some stuff and not others kind of undercuts the idea that the stuff was abandoned so i think the the kid might have a technical legal case now now that's all well and good but here's the other factor of this if i am the judge or i'm the juror on this trying to even if i decide that i'm going to find in favor of the kid that yes they shouldn't have destroyed his stuff all right, then you have to have the whole question of damages. And this is one where if this kid thinks he's getting 90000 bucks, he's on drugs. If this kid thinks he's getting $30,000, he's on drugs. This is one where if I'm sitting back in the jury room, and, of course, you're trying to assess what is the value of a pornographic film from 25 years ago. I mean, I'll ask you, Gru. You're probably closer to this. I mean, we, people don't even watch porn on film anymore. Isn't this all this... One of your one of your producer colleagues here, when I was talking about this with him, said, "No, no, all, all the porn right now is like streaming, right? You don't even watch it on film, right?" Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know why you would buy yeah, you a, a DVD or, or a, physical... a VHS. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. I mean, you, right. This this is not this is not how you take in pornography nowadays. If you take in pornography, and I, if anybody's listening that knows my wife, I have no frame of reference on this at all. Let me go on record on that. But I, I mean, you got you got an old VHS tape of some like grainy, you know, porn movie from twenty five years ago. What could that possibly be worth? I mean, really, seriously, what could that possibly be worth? It's not like you would think that there's too much of a collector's market out there. But again, I might I quickly get beyond my depth when we're talking about this. But my guess is, if I'm on the jury, yeah, even if you find for the kid. My recommendation is, okay, maybe they give him a dollar, and if they decide to give him treble damages, you give him three bucks or something like that. So uh, if the lawyer took this case on a contingency fee, meaning he gets a third of the ultimate settlement, don't be surprised if he's a little bit disappointed. But the bigger picture is, just think about your parents. 
I mean, seriously, think about your parents. Could you imagine having this conversation with your parents? Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. What did you do with my 12 boxes of pornography? Hmm. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. A number of people are texting me saying, really, you, you've given up? All sweets for Lent. So, and it's true. I have, I have not had, I have not had anything. An occasional granola bar, but I don't think that's not cheating. Is it, Melissa? I don't think that. I mean, I, a granola I, bar. Yeah, no, you're not, fine with right, that. That's right. I, right, and but be nothing. And, it, and of course, it's difficult working around here because there's always food around. Well, there's people, always donuts people being or coffee, cookies, I, right, cookie, all, all sorts of stuff. And no, and I, I've, I've been no candy, no, no nothing. I've been really good about that. And it is interesting. And like I say, I haven't missed. I haven't missed it. It's funny how that that goes. I haven't missed it at all, other than <laughs> it's. And I don't. I, I I can't remember. I can't even tell you the last time I had a Chips Ahoy cookie. I just. It's it's got to be years. But for some reason, I have this taste for the regular Chips Ahoy cookies. So you'll be dreaming about it right before Easter. You'll I, wake I, up. Right, well, I'm just saying, if the Easter Bunny is <laughs> it just if, happens, if the to Easter it. Bunny is going to stop over at the house and um, needs to drop something <laughs> off for Easter morning, maybe. Some regular well, chips. You, you probably have listeners bring in the cookies. Too. Well, that, that that's happen. okay. No, I don't need that. I mean, I'm, I, I can count on the Easter Bunny, and I'm not going to go nuts with it because, again, I, I'm actually. This is the interesting thing about the giving stuff up with Lent. I'm, I don't miss it that well. Mm-hmm. You're much. content, and, and I again, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's. I'm sure I've lost a couple pounds. I think you know because it's just, it just that's just, it just like stupid weight. Right. Yeah, you know, that it's there. I don't miss it that much. I mean. You know, we used to always have like like Fran and I would always split a dessert at restaurants sure. and stuff like that. And she's she's gone along with me. We've both given up sweets. And so I just I'm like, OK, maybe I can make this kind of a, a semi diet change. Well, I don't need the extra. I mean, I really don't need the extra sugar. I mean, it's it's, and it's not like I gave up, you know, beer or anything like that. So I'm, I don't, that would I'm be a tragedy that, there. Right, that would. Right. That's just that's, <laughs> that's just taking not it gonna to happen. a whole nother level. Right, Jeff. But I, I just it is interesting. You find that you can do without something. And that's so good. Maybe, and it's, um, I guess, kind of a challenge, too. It's, it's a treat, you know. Next time you eat something sweet, it's it's something you don't do every day. It's just yeah. So I mean, yeah. the, so you now having said all that, I'm going to probably have a sleeve of Chips Ahoy <laughs> right. cookies uh, if the Easter Bunny drops well, if, those off. But, if yeah. you do it, don't tell anybody you had a sleeve. Just say you had a couple. <laughs> yeah, had a couple of them. You yeah. need to go all the way. I I, if I'm going to fall off the wagon, I just don't that's need to right. fall off the wagon. Nobody's going to be videoing you. Yeah. Well, so that's why, like I say, if you're just tuning in, I, I just I kind of panic because I've been looking forward to this, you know, and I've gotten through all this. I'm thinking, oh, the Chips Ahoy, and I saw there's this recall but thankfully it is only applying to these chewy chips ahoy cookies which i have no interest in i'm talking about like the regular ones all right enough of that i've been wanting to talk with you about this for the last couple days and just haven't gotten around to it i'm sure perhaps i am late to the game maybe every talk show host in the country has discussed it but but that's okay and that is this this whole thing going on with President Trump and sanctuary cities and illegal aliens and the, the like. As, as we all know, there are a number of cities across the country, including Madison and Milwaukee, who have announced that they are sanctuary cities. Now, the definition of sanctuary city varies. It, it means different things. But in general, the philosophy is, we are not going to cooperate with the federal government when it comes to 
helping the Immigration Service or the Immigration and Customs Enforcement apprehend or otherwise detain people who are in this country illegally. You know, and we, we've discussed, you know, all the ramifications of that. But this is the big, it's the politically correct thing. Give us your folks who are in this country illegally, and heaven forbid that we should cooperate with the federal government in trying to deal with them. All right, so President Trump Apparently, a couple months ago, the the administration floated this idea of, well, we've got all these people who are pouring into this country illegally, and they're they're really overwhelming, you know, some of the border cities, and, and we don't know really where to put them and what to do with them because they're coming in so fast and furious. So the idea was floated. Well, why don't we send them to some of these sanctuary cities? California wants them. If, if Oakland wants these folks, if Los Angeles wants these folks, if San Francisco wants these folks, let's, let's send them there. And I, I get the idea that this was, maybe it was floated, but you had a lot of people in the administration who said, well, wait a minute. You, you, there, there's no legal basis to do this. You know, we, we can't just like put people on buses and send them halfway across the country and then release them onto the streets. You, you, you just can't do that. There's all these liability things and the law doesn't allow you to do it. All right. So the idea w- was kind of shot down. Well, what happened is about a week or so ago, the fact that this was even being discussed it leaked somewhere to the press, and so there was this conf- there was this story, and then then you had a lot of the usual suspects who were absolutely outraged. Oh, this is you know President Trump declaring war on some of these cities. How can they send these folks there? And interestingly enough, instead of kind of backing down and saying, okay, well we we have no intention of doing this, the Trump administration and the president said, oh yeah, maybe maybe we should do this. You know, if if Oakland says that they don't want to cooperate and they welcome anybody who's in this country illegally, here, well, let let's let's take 5,000 or 10,000 people and let let's send them to Oakland or if Los Angeles wants these folks or if Milwaukee or if Madison wants all these folks that are in this country illegally, why don't we figure out a way to do it? Now, again, the legalities of this, there's, in my opinion, there's no basis in the law to start putting people on buses and shipping them all across the country. All right. So I don't think this can happen legally. But we're now past the discussion of what can and can't be legally done. And I think a lot of times now we're talking about this from an intellectual perspective. Our num- And that's what I want to discuss with you. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It, let us forget uh, for a moment about whether the law allows, allows the government to do this, because I think the answer is pretty clear that it doesn't. But let's forget about the law for a second. My question to you is, do you think this is, in theory, again, forgetting the law, is this a good idea? If you have cities that say, hey, we welcome people who are in this country illegally, all right, should the government say, okay, fine, here's what we're going to do. You want the people that are in the country illegally? We just got another 5,000 folks that came up from over the border. Here, Oakland, we're sending them to you. Is, is that a good policy matter? Forgetting the legalities. Should Trump be pursuing something like this if he could? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have um, I, I have a take on this that I will explain to you, but I'm curious as to what your thinking is. If you could do this legally, would it be a good idea? 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. 
You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back. And again, I want to be really clear. I don't think the law allows the federal government to pack up people who've come into this country illegally, put them in buses, trains, or whatever, and transport them to a sanctuary city and then dump them off. Um, I, I don't think the law allows them to do it. But but if the law did, this is what President Trump is threatening to do. He says, okay, sanctuary cities, Oakland, you want them. Milwaukee, you want them. Madison, you want them. Here, here's 5,000 people. Deal with it. All right. Is that an... What do you think theoretically about that as a solution? Holly in Janesville. Holly, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Jeff, how are you doing? I am well, thank you. All right. Yeah. What do you think okay. about this This as an idea, apart from the legality? Uh, okay. Apart from the legalities, not even speaking of the legalities, when I first heard about this, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's like, you know, and then when I kept hearing about it, I'm like, well, why not? You know, it kind of makes the... Um, those sanctuary cities put their money where their mouth is. It's like, okay, well, if they don't want them, then you kind of see their their true heart about it. Well, you know, it's interesting because when he floated this idea, Cher, who's, of course, not a fan of Donald Trump, she came out, she does this interview saying, hey, you know, don't don't do this to Los Angeles, which is one of these sanctuary cities. We've we we can't take care of all the problems we have now between the homeless and stuff. You know, you you give us an extra five or ten or fifteen thousand people, and we're going to be in a lot of trouble. It was interesting to see the president call the bluff, at least on some of these people. Exactly. You know, well, at least you know maybe the sanctuary cities could maybe negotiate this a little bit if their heart is truly in for taking care of these people that they supposedly care about so much instead of just being a right you know, a liberal gesture right exactly so things are it's yeah like, you know, at least bargain and say hey you know for x amount of money we'll build some places and truly take care of these people maybe if we do you a favor you can do us a favor maybe give us you know, X amount of money toward taking care of these people. We'll build some places for them to live. And, yeah, yeah well, let's talk about this. Well, it has, it definitely has. They, they act like it is. No, it definitely has a, it, it definitely has a, a, thanks for calling. I mean, it has a superficial appeal. Now, that's not to say I embrace this. I'll explain how I think about this big picture in just a couple minutes. But I'm curious about the reaction because on the surface you say, okay, you know, the borders right now are being overwhelmed. Um, there's all this concern about where do we hold all these people that are coming into this country illegal, uh, coming in this country illegally. We don't want to send them back for the time being. And of course, if we just like give them a date and tell them to appear, a good chunk of people are never going to do that. So what do we do with them? I do understand the superficial appeal of saying, okay, you, you want a Milwaukee, you want a Madison, you, you don't want to cooperate with the federal government. Here you go. So I understand the superficial appeal of that. Let's talk to Lisa in Mequon. Hi, Lisa. Good afternoon. Hi. How are you today? I am well. Thank you. What do you think of this? Well, I just think that uh, it's not a good idea. I, I'm I'm sorry to say I've thought about it hard, and I just think that um, I don't have a problem with them, like, dispersing people to various places throughout the, the 50 states, if mm-hmm. you will, to, to smooth the numbers. Right. Um, but to just have these sanctuary cities, and I'm sorry to say it, there's a part of me that feels that, even the cities that say, oh, we want them, we want them, we'll take them, that they 
they don't. once they were there, they would feel differently. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I mean, I, I mean, right. It, it's it's one of these things. It's easy to say when you you know that there's not a likelihood that you're going to have a, a significant influx because the reality is, I mean, you you take any city, and all of a sudden, if you take five or ten or fifteen thousand more people all of whom don't have places to live and are going to need some form of assistance, and you dump them into that city, it's, it's going to provide a challenge for, for any city. So the, the the mayors and stuff that go out and do their virtue signaling, oh, we'll, we'll take them, we don't want to cooperate, it, yeah. it would be interesting to put them to the test, wouldn't it? Exactly. But, That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. So I just am wondering if there's a, a, a better way. I mean, to say we have 50 states, and we have to send X amount to this state, this city, and right. uh, and and smooth them. And of course, those are the ones who are coming through our doors, not over our walls. Right. Yeah. Right. No. Thank. No. Thanks for calling. Uh, let me. Let me just. I, I'm. We went. We will take a couple more calls on this. Let me tell you how I think about this. Again, I th- think the law is really clear that you can't do this. Let me explain one of the other reasons, though, why I think that this is a bad idea. We. We have been arguing. One of the things that I have been arguing, and I think a lot of of us have been arguing, is that immigration is a federal matter. And, And states don't have the right, and cities don't have the right on their own to say, okay, well, we're going to cooperate with some laws, and we're not going to cooperate with, with others. By doing this, what you essentially do is you, you, you throw that whole principle out. You say, okay, fine, here, we'll, we'll let them go to the, the sanctuary cities. On top of that, will this create, at least potentially, will it, will it help mess up some of those cities temporarily? Well, well, maybe, but the other bottom line is, if our idea is that ultimately all these people that are coming into this country illegally, we, we want to send back to where they came from after they've had hearings or whatever, you, you disperse them in sanctuary cities and you guarantee that you're never going to get them out of the country again because theoretically the sanctuary cities aren't going to cooperate. So it's going to hurt the cities. There's no question about that. But it's also going to hurt your national effort to try to control your borders. And I guess that's, to me, that's that's the big picture that I think that you have to, to see. Clint in Waupon. Clint, you're on WTMJ. Hey, I like the idea. It's extremely contrary to what he's been telling us, what President Trump's been telling us for the last how many years. Right, that the the federal government is, it's the federal government that decides on immigration, and we don't want to let people into this country that we believe aren't going to be good for the country. Well, that, and then, I mean, they're dangerous. They're supposed to be dangerous, supposed to be killers, supposed to be rapists, but now all of a sudden they're good enough to be put on buses and brought around and shipped here and shipped there it's extremely contrary to what he's been telling us it's, yeah it's, i just don't i just don't agree with no i i agree with it's you a, too it's a hundred percent flip-flop yeah, it is no thanks you're, you're right i mean it, it's just it's inconsistent and again i I understand there is this appeal. Let's stick. Okay, you know, Oakland. The Oakland mayor wants to lip off. Fine, let's stick it to her. Let's see how she feels. Really, when you get this problem, and I understand there is this superficial appeal to that. All right, how do you feel now that the buses are pulling in? But the bottom line is, if we want to be consistent and we want to say that immigration is a a federal problem, and if we also, I mean, to me, I would be going the other way. I I think. 
Congress should be and should have been exploring legislation over the last couple years, making it very clear that if you decide that you are not going to cooperate, if you're going to be a sanctuary city, that you're subject to losing all sorts of federal assistance. I mean, the, the example I always give is the, the reason we have a 21-year-old drinking age is not because there's a federal law. There are laws in all 50 states saying that the drinking age is 21. Why is that? It's because if you don't do that, the federal government won't give you highway money. You know, highway money is is tied to the 21-year-old drinking age. So Wisconsin could tomorrow say, okay, we're past a law, we're going to be 18, but you would lose all the highway money. The federal government controls the power of the purse. I think it should be very clear in the law, and it's not, which is one of the problems. Why, fine, you don't want to cooperate cooperate with the federal immigration efforts great we're going to pull all sorts of funding from your your city so yeah you can do that but then you make the decision and i guarantee you if you did something like that you would hear no more talk of this sanctuary city silliness but but again the the law allows these cities to do this bottom line is i i appreciate the appeal of this argument and it is kind of a, what's the old phrase they used to use? Ooh, they've been hoisted upon their own petard. That's the phrase that would be used. But at the same time, it's not legal, and I think it's bad policy. I think you have to be consistent, and the consistent argument is we need to figure out ways to better regulate our borders and stop the flow of people coming in illegally as opposed to saying hey come in illegally and we'll just send you to some of these places who say they want you this is jeff wagner jeff wagner on wtmj so very glad to have you with us there is somebody who makes a living is living in front of an open microphone for three hours a day five days a week you know 50 plus weeks out of the year one of the, the nightmares you have is that you are going to misspeak. And it, and it just, it it happens. There's not a script that I am reading from. You know, we, this, the show is extemporaneous and we're interacting and stuff. And, and you're always concerned that you're going to, you know, misspeak. And it just, it just, it just happens. That is the nature of it. And sometimes there are particular words or names that you really want to, you got to be careful. And I used this example before. There used to be a Packers football player who, who just retired, whose name was Josh Sitton. Okay, that was his name. I hated when that I had to say that name just because if you speak quickly, you know, there, there's a tendency to jumble things together and you've got Josh which, you know, ends in that S-H sound. Then you've got the last name, Sitton, and you kind of put it all together, and, you know, a, a word that you don't intend to say on the radio can come out, right? I mean, it's just, and it, it's inadvertent, but you don't you don't want to hear that. You don't want to get called in saying, you know, what did you say on the radio? And, you know, I kind of like rushed this. So, I mean, I always remember when that name came up, I had to just be, take it very, very slowly and concentrate on concentrate on it. But sometimes... Stuff is just inadvertent. Now, we talked about this when it first happened, and it goes back a couple months, and it involves a guy who was the chief meteorologist at a station, TV station in Rochester, New York. Now, here is the background quickly. There is a racial slur 
which has been around since the Civil War. It's kind of archaic now, but it, it derives from the word raccoon. And you know, that that's all I'm going to say about it now. But it, it, it's been around for a long time, and it's used to refer to people of color. All right? It's also been a word that was particularly used occasionally to describe Dr. Martin Luther King, right, when he was coming to prominence. So that's the the background. So you might remember this. The guy is on live TV, and they're going, they're throwing this, he's in the studio, and they're throwing, they've got a camera at this uh, local park. It's called Dr. Martin Luther King Junior Square Park. All right, so it's a a park in like downtown Rochester. So the guy's on the five o'clock or the six o'clock news, and what what he says is he says, "Okay, it looks like it's a gloomy day over at." And instead of saying Dr. Martin Luther King Junior Park, he says Dr. Luther, and then he uses. That slang word, the, you know, the derogatory word, King Jr. Park. So he, he corrects himself, but he, he's thrown that, that word in. All right. He, he really, I don't think anybody argues that he intended to do that. Now, there, there's no question that over his lifetime, Dr. King was subject to, to being, having that word thrown in his name in a derogatory fashion. But this doesn't appear to be the case. The guy just had this verbal slip. Well, nothing happens immediately until a couple people who've heard it start calling up the the station and complaining, oh, did you hear what this guy said? And the station immediately reacts by firing him, if you will recall the story. Now, the reason this is back in the news is he has now filed a lawsuit against the station that employed him and the um, and, and the company that owns the station and the station's general manager alleging defamation, intentional infliction of remo- emotional distress, etc., for being, you know, fired. He says, look, I, the station labeled me as being a, a racist for, you know, this, what all this was, was a, a verbal slip. It was a linguistic slip. I misspoke. I didn't have any intent to hurt anybody. I didn't intend to be derogatory towards Dr. King. It's just, I, I'm. it's live TV. The word popped out. I didn't mean it in a bad fashion. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So now this is predictable. He, again, he's filed the lawsuit, and it doesn't allege wrongful discharge per se, but it alleges other things. Here is my question to you. Was this man treated fairly, in your opinion, in connection with this? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And maybe, maybe... I guess I'm perhaps I'm overly sympathetic to something like this because, again, I understand what can happen when you're on the airwaves and you're speaking in front of an open microphone and especially on television where most cases for local TV, there's no delay or anything like that. But if if, as it appears to be the case, this was a legitimate slip of the tongue, 
was he treated fairly by being fired and by essentially being branded by the TV station as as a racist? 414-799-1620. He is suing essentially to clear his name. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We're back, so glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in about 20 minutes, are you feeling the burn? Jenny in Oconomowoc. Jenny, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I just feel that the fellow was really unjustly dismissed. Um, I think that uh, the, the few people who probably thought that uh, created a whole nationwide now who is making right. this assumption and it just fuels more hatred and um distinction in the world i think people have to take a break and consider things more for the good rather than for the bad well, i feel bad for the poor fellow yeah you know jenny that see i guess that's that's why i wanted to revisit this because there is real racism in this world there is real sexism in this world there, there's just no question about it and i guess these stories like this always frustrate me because i think you have to look at in, intent and if the man had gone on television and clearly uh, either you know, maybe he didn't think he had a live microphone or something and he had said something that was clearly you know intended to be racist and stuff of course you fire him i i get that but at the same time the guy's on live tv and he's speaking quickly and he he makes a verbal slip of the tongue something that i think all of us if we were honest, have done at one point in time or the other. And then you've got, like you say, there's a couple people that hear this and they want to interpret it for the worst and it costs the guy his job. And I just think there's something fundamentally wrong about that. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call. I mean, that's, and I guess that that's the issue. Now, it's interesting, like I said, he's not suing the the. He's not suing his employer, saying he was wrongfully fired, and I suspect that's because he's got a contract that gives him, that gives them a broad range and wide variety of stuff that they can get rid of him for. But what he's suing them for is he's essentially saying, "Hey, you, you, you called me. You said that I was a, a racist, um, you know, and and you defamed me, and you know, you caused me emotional distress, um, you know, intentionally. I'm not a racist, you know. If if you would have said, well, we believe that he did this accidentally, but still, we think that we're going to get rid of him. Maybe it would be different, but that's not how they approached it. So they're taking this kind of interesting legal theory to try to figure this whole thing out and see where it goes. But I have to tell you, I I, I am certainly sympathetic to this meteorologist who I I think was treated poorly. And I'd like to think that I would make that argument about anybody when, at least by all objective evidence, it's not something that is intentional, but rather it is just simply something that is inadvertent. I've got a link to the follow-up on this story and including some of the uh, thoughts from people. If you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. We've got a link to this story. All right. Hey, this is kind of interesting news. What's old is new again. Gru, are you old enough? Do you remember P- Court TV when Court TV was in its heyday? No, not no, really. Not really. Okay. Well, all right. Let me date myself then. Court TV originally was launched in 1991. And for those of you who remember Court TV, the, the basic premise it was, we are going to find live trials that are going around, along across the country. 
And, you know, then what we're going to do is we're going to provide gavel to gavel coverage of high profile trials that are around. And again, they started in 1991. You will recall perhaps, um, serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. That was in 1992. And, and that was covered on, on court TV. You might remember, um, former Packer player Mark Shimura who was accused of and ultimately acquitted of third-degree sexual assault in 2004. That trial was on court TV. You will also perhaps remember in 2004 as well, there were Milwaukee police officers who were accused of beating Frank Jude, the name strike up. That was that was on court TV as well. And so, I mean, what they did is they, they showed... They show trials and they show there was this, a number of lawyers who became kind of stars. Uh, now pretty much retired uh, Milwaukee attorney Jerry Boyle. You know, Boyle was the defense attorney in the Dahmer case. Um, he, he was the defense attorney in the Chamura case. He became sort of a media star because of court TV. Well, Court TV then sort of expanded, and what they did is it wasn't just trials, and then they started getting into, they would have talk shows where they would lawyers that would discuss things and um, issues like that, and they started, again, getting away, I think, from their roots of gavel-to-gavel coverage. Um, ultimately, what ended up happening is Court TV, which was owned by the Ted Turner, by Turner Broadcasting, um, in 2008, they made the decision well, okay, th- this has run its course, the gavel-to-gavel coverage of things, even though I think people are just fascinated and continue to be fascinated by what goes goes on in courtrooms. But nevertheless, Turner T- Broadcasting decided, let's get away from this. So what they did in 2008 was they, they took Court TV and they turned it into true TV, um, and they began str- shifting from court-related stuff to broader reality show fare and things like that. But True TV, what was the original Court TV? I bring this up because um, Court TV is, is coming back, and interestingly enough, what what's happened is our our former company, Scripps, formerly owned WTMJ and still owns our TV station, you know, uh, Channel 4, WTMJ, they, you know, they're owned by Scripps. Scripps has the rights to court TV. And so what they're doing is they're going to launch, they're bringing it back. It's going to, starting next month, um, over-the-air television stations, including six in Wisconsin, including um, today's TMJ4, are going to have the new court TV. And um, it's going to it's it's one of the substations, I think, of Channel 4 it's going to air on. But you're going to have, again, more gavel to gavel coverage. My understanding is they're starting to go back to the roots of of TV. And so people can, again, watch the lawyers. It's interesting because in federal court, where I spent most of my legal career practicing, cameras aren't allowed in the courtroom. You, you can't you can't have cameras in the Supreme Court arguments and things like that. You can't have cameras in, in jury trials and things like that, which I always thought was unfortunate. I think the more people get to see what goes on in courtrooms, the, the better it it is for people to understand the whole process. So I've been a big advocate for, for cameras in the courtrooms forever, but that's why a lot of the, the stuff you would see would be in different state courts because in Wisconsin they allow 
they, as a general rule, they allow cameras in the courtrooms. And so I, I think sometimes there's restrictions. You can't show a victim testifying in a sexual assault case or something like that, appropriately so, to preserve identities. But, you know, you, you have all these different state court state, state courthouses that would be opened up. And I, I think it's fascinating. And candidly, sometimes I, I think these ideas, they, they run their course. But I think there's still a lot of interest to watch trials on a regular basis and assuming that they can find the interesting ones i think this is going to be a success i also think there's going to probably be a new generation of lawyers who are going to come along and um i don't know start to achieve some degree of notoriety by being the commentators and that may or may not be good but bottom line is court tv coming back if you were a fan stick around this is jeff wagner wtmj Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. 51 degrees outside, that is a good step. All right. We've been remarkably politically free for the last uh, day and a half or so. Let, let's at least one segment on this. I am... I am fascinated, and I mean that sincerely, with the direction the Democrat Party is taking in in this country nowadays. And it's really, it it reminds me of what was going on with the Republican Party, say, like in the 2010 era, when when you had the the explosion of of the Tea Party, and you had this push that, that ended up driving the Republican Party further to the right. You can argue that had been going on for a while, but I mean, I, I think it was embodied by some of the stuff that happened with the Tea Party. You are seeing the flip side of this now with, with the Democrats. There is, there is what I would describe as the, the old center left Democrat coalition. This would be represented by, by, for example, Bill Clinton, who, who was for all his, pluses and minuses he was not he was not a screaming lefty he he wasn't he was he was somebody who viewed this country as being sort of a center left country and and tried to like move us a little left from the middle i would think that you know joe biden to an extent is is sort of an embodiment of that philosophy as well the the what i'm going to describe as the mainstream democrat liberal but not way 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 to the left then you have the new breed of democrat which is is the the far left and the the this is the part of the party that gets a lot of attention it's the medicare for all it's the let's have the green new deal where we you know essentially try to do away with coal and let's get rid of you know fossil fuels and let, let's let's do all that type of stuff that that's the in the income redistribution that we have too many people who make too much money and not enough people who make enough money and so what we have to do is take from those people that make all the money and give it to the people that don't i mean that that part of the party and it gets a lot of the attention because it's where you have some of the loudest voices at the same time there's a lot of mainstream democrats that are out there and and i've said this if you look at the success democrats had in the elections in 2018 and taking control of the house of representatives it it wasn't it it wasn't the left-wing democrats because 
by and large, they came, okay, maybe some of the older Democrats got beat by some of the newer ones in primaries and things, but what led to the Democrat takeover of the House of Representatives was the fact that you had a lot of moderate Democrats in swing districts who ended up beating the Republicans. So even though it doesn't get a lot of attention, there is still a, a large um, group of elected officials in the Democrat Party who are what what I would describe in the tradition of Bill Clinton, kind of the, the center-left Democrats. All right, those center-left Democrats are in many respects scared as you know what over some of the people that are emerging as the face of the party in the presidential race. In particular, if you look at a number of the polls that are out there, you see the leading candidate, and look, it, it's it's early. We're sitting here in April of 2017. You don't have the Iowa caucuses until January of next year. A whole lot of stuff can happen. You don't even know exactly what the field is going to look like. Is Joe Biden going to get in? We don't know that. But one of the things that you are starting to see, part of it is because of name recognition, because he ran before, but part of it is because his agenda appeals to people, is the fact that Bernie Sanders is leading in a lot of the national polls. Now, again, a lot of it's name recognition. You just had the Marquette University Law School poll that came out last week, and it showed that you know Bernie Sanders, who not surprisingly, perhaps given that he won the Wisconsin primary in 2016, he was leading all other candidates with around 30%. Biden was second, and then there were the rest. Sanders is already substantially he's raising he's substantially outraising a lot of other democrats again in part because he ran in 2016 he's got donor lists etc etc you know things like that and he's also kind of carved out this niche on on the far left of the democrat party so yeah you've got other people the elizabeth warrens of the world who are out there as well but Bernie was there first, and a lot of people remember that. Well, it's been interesting to me because there's been a number of stories that you're starting to see in these national publications, the New York Times, the Washington Post, things like that, where it, it's quoting a lot of Democrats is, who are really worried about the, the Bernie Sanders effect. They're worried that if somebody like Bernie, but particularly Bernie, an older you know, I mean, let's face it, you know, he's in his upper 70s, a, an older white guy who's very, very far to the left. If he ends up getting the nomination, he's going to alienate a lot of voters. And yet he might win the nomination, but he will be unelectable, even running against somebody like Donald Trump. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So let's tee this up. Are you feeling the burn? Can Bernie Sanders realistically get elected as president of the United States? Or is this kind of like a Don Quixote thing tilting at windmills? 1964, before my time, Barry Goldwater was nominated by, uh, again, the very conservative wing of the Republican Party to run against uh, Lyndon Johnson. Goldwater got slaughtered in the general election. All right. 
people were true to themselves. They voted, you know, they nominated Goldwater. He went down to a crashing defeat. Are you feeling the burn? Can Bernie Sanders really be elected president of the United States? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for those of you, and I know you're out there, who are, are just haters of Donald Trump, I, I, you know, you believe that he is the Antichrist. Do, do you think Bernie Sanders can beat him? Is he the person best situated to beat him? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Let's go to some text first. Jeff, I will be writing in Jeff Wagner in the event of a Bernie-Trump match. Simply put, you're not Hillary. <laughs> okay, well, I got that there. Um, let's see. Debbie says, if it's Bernie, he guarantees a Trump win. Steve says, I'm not feeling the burn. I think he's a kook. If that's the best the Dems have to offer in 2020, they are, in fact, in trouble. Pete says, no, he can't win a general election. And in my opinion, nobody on the far left is electable. The free stuff agenda isn't going to work. 414-799-1620. Um, I, you know, I, I, there's a lot of what I'm going to describe as the more mainstream Democrats who feel exactly the same way. All right. Let's start with Julie in Kenosha. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Well, I'm actually a little bit concerned if Bernie gets the nomination. Uh, I've been talking to a lot of college students, yep. and they're infatuated with him. And the the promises of, you know, free child care, free college, free health care, everything is free. Yeah. Um, this socialist idea is really encapsulating them. And um, I'd be worried he'd get the younger vote mm-hmm. and he could... He could actually be president. I'm concerned. Well, no, I mean, it, it's, I mean, for example, I think if you had what I'm going to describe as a mainstream Democrat, a guy like a, a Joe Biden, for example, and I think you could say, okay, you could argue, is is President Trump going to be better or is Biden going to be better? But Biden's not kooky. Biden's not way far to the left. I know exactly what you're talking about, Julie. The, the question is, is this country really ready to essentially upend the capitalist system and say, all right, we're going to do away with private health insurance. No more no more insurance companies. We're going to go to Medicare for all, and it's all going to come from the government. And we're going to do away with coal companies, and we're going to crack down on the, the natural gas producers, and we're going to crack down on the petroleum producers. And and so do, do we really want that? And I don't think the country's there, but but you're right. Some people might think, oh, this all sounds just wonderful and and end up voting for the guy. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. This, all these promises of, of, of free things and and then they're, they're left with a, a socialist country. Well, you know, right. They're socialist countries. If you, if I, I'm sorry to be blunt, but if you want a socialist country, go move to one. Well, right, and, and thanks for calling, and, and see how that works. I mean, if you want this government to be, if you want this country to become Venezuela. That's fine, but why don't you head to Venezuela for a while and, and see how that's working out? But I, I do, I understand what you're saying, Julie, because there is this appeal of, 
a, a chicken in every pot and, and something for nothing. Here, you don't like your student loans? Well, I understand that. Don't worry. We'll, we'll forgive them. And so it's free college. But, of course, nothing's ever free. Somebody has to pay for it. And here, we're going to provide we're, – we're going to give you a guaranteed income. You, know, you don't want to work? Okay, well, there, there's no problem here. You know, you can make X amount of, of dollars with this. But there is no such thing as a free lunch. I I can't grant you that I guess there is this appeal to it and, and maybe especially for people who you know are are new as voters or you're coming out of college and you're incredibly idealistic and you're saying well I want to get out from under these crippling student loan debts that I've taken out I I understand the appeal I think at the end of the day, I don't think the country's ready to go that far. And I continue to believe that if the Democrats were to nominate somebody out on the far left, ultimately, that's the best thing in the world if you're a supporter of President Trump. But the alternative is kind of scary. Kevin in Milwaukee. Kevin, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. uh, I'm a millennial, but I am a conservative. I voted for Trump last election, but I can tell you, as a millennial that speaks to other millennials, he has actually a huge chance. The voting mm-hmm. block gets bigger every year. He had huge momentum going into last year, and I can tell you that a lot of people straight up didn't vote for Hillary Clinton because they it was Hillary Clinton. saw that yeah, yeah. he's the dynasty name, and also they stole the nomination from Bernie Sanders. Right. So they voted for Trump out of spite. And also, there is one thing I want to say that something that Trump and Bernie Sanders shared is that people both saw them as genuine even if they didn't agree with everything that they said, mm-hmm. they said these are people that stand by their first principles and what they believe in government. So actually the center people are having a little harder time, huge debates, longer debates, because they seem waffly when you push them on what they really, really, truly have core beliefs on. Yep. Do you think you would vote? For, could you see yourself voting for Bernie Sanders? No, I probably just wouldn't vote. Just wouldn't? You'd sit it out. Okay. Yeah. No, no, thanks. And by the way, Kevin, I, I, I don't, disagree with your theory as to how President Trump became President Trump. And I know some people don't like to hear this, but I I, I think Hillary Clinton was a known commodity. There was, in 2016, everybody had an opinion on her, good or, or bad. And there, there wasn't anything that she could really do to change that because she'd just been around for so very long. On the other hand, Donald Trump was the outsider. And I understand there were people who didn't like him, but I, I, I firmly believe that there were a lot of people who voted for President, now President Trump, either because he was kind of the unknown. All they knew is they didn't like Hillary Clinton. And, and yeah, there's parts of his personality we find off-putting and all those things. But, you know, may, maybe he's going to be different and we want to have that change. And by the way, did I mention we don't like Hillary Clinton? That that dynamic has now changed because in 2020, everybody's going to have an opinion, good, bad or indifferent about Donald Trump. And so I, I do think some of the things that benefited President Trump when he was running are going to benefit whoever the challenger is um, this time around. If the Democrats go to the far left, though, I, I think you, you end up losing that middle. But, I mean, look, here, here's the reality. There's a lot of people in the Democrat Party who believe that Bernie Sanders is, in fact, un- unelectable, but are yet concerned that he's going to get the nomination this time. And if it is if it is Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, 
That's going to set up a real interesting dialogue for the future of this country. Here's a text. Jeff, I'm a Democratic voter and was feeling the burn in 2016 and was one of many I knew. I'm not feeling it anymore. I think there's a lesson to be learned from Trump. Uncompromising politics are ineffective. I'm more interested in center-left candidates. I do think – now, I my serious question is whether the Democrat Party is, is capable of – nominating a center-left candidate. I don't know because, and this is true in the Republicans too, just like the, the the more conservative elements of the Republican Party dominate primaries, the more liberal elements of the Democrat Party dominate primaries. So, I mean, I, I legitimately don't know if there's room for a Joe Biden type of candidate in the Democrat Party. I, I don't know that. But that could very well have uh, go a long way towards trying to figure out, you know, what the ultimately, you know, who the next president is. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Not only had I never heard of the Gore line, I guess now that I know what it is, I didn't really even realize that it was illegal to cross it. So here, here's the bottom line. If you go to JS Online, and, you know, get your digital subscription, column by their columnist, Jim Stingle. And um, here, here's here's his story. He says he's coming back one night, getting on the freeway after a poker game. He also points out that he'd only had one beer, which is probably good under these circumstances. So he, he gets he's getting on the freeway. All of a sudden, he gets pulled over by a Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputy. And, you know, they, they go up and they say, you know, do you know why I stopped you? And presumably he says, I have no idea why you stopped me. And the officer then says, well, you, you illegally crossed over the Gore line. And he says, huh? <laughs> which which I, I understand. I would say, huh, too. And <laughs> according to the column, Stingle says, I, I don't know what you just said to me. <laughs> I, don't under, I, I don't understand this. And then the officer says, the Gore line. You drove over the Gore line. And Stingle says, I, I look at him, I say, I wish I knew what that was. See, I'm relating to this, because this is what I would be saying to officer I'm sober. I have no idea what you're talking about. All right. So then he says the officer starts making shapes with his hands and saying something about solid lines that you can't cross. He says, I ask him to spell it. He says, Gore, G-O-R-E. All right. So here, here's the bottom line. The Gore line, and let me try to describe this as best I can. As you are getting on the freeway, there is a lane that you are in. And the lane that you are going to in, you are in is going to run into the lanes that are existing on the freeway, right? They're going to merge. So you're in a lane of traffic getting onto the freeway. As you get close to the, the freeway itself, you know, the, so let's say you're, you're merging the freeway, the lane that you're getting into is going to be on your left. As you get close, to the lanes on the freeway. Now you're in the the lane on the on ramp. There is at the very end of that, there is like a triangle that's at the very end of that, the point where your lane becomes, you know, where your lane merges into the freeway lane of traffic right at that that tip. There's going to be a little area that's a triangle. That who would have known? That is called the the Gore line. G-O-R-E, the Gore line. And it is apparently a violation to to cross the, the Gore line. Um, deviating from a traffic lane, the fine is $175, and you get four points against 
your license for for crossing over that little area. Now, I, I hope I'm not giving too much away. Ultimately, he gets a warning, and 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 that's fine. He says, "I'm, I'm never going to be a Gore Lane deviant again." But I, I admit. And this is from the perspective of somebody who's been driving. I got my driver's license the day I turned 16. And so I have been driving ever since then. And in all the years I have been licensed, at least, to practice law, I, I have never heard about this. And I confess, I confess that, have I ever done this? And, and the answer is, well, I don't know if it's within the statute of limitations or not, but my answer is, yeah, I, I probably have. If I'm trying to think if there's like a really slow car that's in front of me getting ready to merge onto the freeway or there's a truck or something and I want to try to get ahead of it and there's nobody in that lane, yeah, I can – I kind of confess that maybe there's times that I have have swung over through that little triangle and gotten onto the freeway, and it's never occurred to me that something like that would be illegal. Okay, that's observation number one. Observation number two, and maybe this is the larger point that the columnist doesn't make, is given all the crap that goes on on a regular basis on Milwaukee County freeways with cars that are passing you at 95 miles an hour and swinging around, getting pulled over for kind of crossing over that triangle to get onto the freeway, um, my goodness, that must that sounds to me like a law enforcement officer that's having a really bad day. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Have have you ever heard of any first of all, does anybody know what this was before we talked about it? And I swear I've never heard of anybody being pulled over for for that. And unless you're driving in an extremely reckless fashion, like I say, given all the stuff that's going on on the freeway on a regular basis, I'm coming back from the ball game at 1030 last night, and I'm, I'm watching these cars that are drag racing da- up I-43, one on each other's bumper at 95 miles an hour, and I'm wondering, where are the police to pull these guys over? I'm thinking, okay, you're stopping somebody you know, for... For kind of merging a little soon onto the freeway? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I appreciate that ignorance of the law is no excuse, but I swear I've never heard of anything like this. And I I I, I admit that I, I'm the guy that says that hey, if you get pulled over by the police, you, you want to be extremely cooperative and you want to be extremely respectful and arguing doesn't help or anything. But I do have to admit if I was pulled over for for this you mean i i merged a little bit too soon that's why you really stopped me i i do admit you could perhaps color me as a little bit spec- skeptical of oh come on really is, is this but see that guy that's just driven by me at 85 miles an hour weaving across the three lanes maybe we want to be pulling them over 414-799-1620 Rue is lining up some calls we've got jam phone lines the, the gore line have you ever heard about this 241 jeff wagner wtmj Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Who knew? Um, I got a link to this story with the Journal sent us a couple pictures of, of this and four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm I'm with uh, Journal Sentinel columnist Jim Stingle. I've never heard of a Gore line before, and I admit I've probably crossed these in the past. Let's talk to Dan in Hales Corners. Dan, hello. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. 
Uh, I am a truck driver. I've been driving truck for many years, but I drive locally now in the city. And you're coming down a ramp with the truck, and what ticks me off is the people figure they get down to that open spot. Well, that's just a painted line. I'll hurry up and jump on the freeway because the truck is so slow. Right. That, or if I'm coming along the curb lane, which I don't get out in the big lane by any means, and I'll stay in that right lane, and these people that come off a, a ramp, and they sit there. Well, should I go now or I should go later? That ramp is to get up to speed and get on. I've never heard of that gore line, but no, I've never crossed that white line. <laughs> have you ever? Have you ever seen anybody? So, if you're, have you ever seen anybody pulled over for kind of no, crossing? I, that? I, I, I have never seen that one before. I mean, it must be uh, pretty much the sheriffs are caught up on what they need to do this week. Well, no, thanks. Well, I mean, th- I, apparently, I mean, he also. I was looking at the story. He says it was it was midnight on a Saturday night, and so. My guess is the sheriff's department are are probably also maybe looking for other things like impaired drivers or something. So you you see this car pull across that, but I I, I do find this to be a little bit educational because, like I say, I'm I am more concerned when I'm trying to get on the freeway. I'm I'm less concerned with that that triangle. Um, I guess I just never realized that you you couldn't cross over that, and I'm more concerned with how am I going to merge, and you know where where is there an opening, and if if you see like okay, there's a whole bunch of cars ahead, but there's a little bit of an opening. I didn't realize you couldn't kind of cross a that that little triangle and get into where that opening is. But apparently, it's a hundred seventy five dollar fine. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's let's talk to. Um, Carol in Milwaukee. Carol, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. Um, I'm retired uh, from the Sheriff's Department, and um, the Gore Line is a traffic code violation. Right. However, most law enforcement officers aren't going to write that violation, but it gives that law enforcement officer probable cause to see if maybe you have a drunk driver. Right, right. So that I mean, so like the columnist says, it's ten. It's it's midnight on a Saturday night. He crosses that that line, and so I mean, look, I get it. It's midnight. You're thinking, okay, maybe this person's coming back from a bar. They're boozed up, so you pull them over, um, and then you see if it's something worse than that. That that's what's going on. You think? Correct. So if I were to have done this, let's say at. I don't know, two o'clock on a on a Tuesday afternoon or, or something like that, when you're not necessary and, and there's no other indication that I'm swerving or anything like that. You you think that's one that they kinda let go, huh? Exactly. Interesting. It, it, it's just a great probable cause thing for the officer to say, Okay, it's midnight, it's one in the morning. Right. Do I have a drunk driver here? Let me just stop him and get, give a quick check. Right, right. But you don't hear too many tickets actually being written for this. No, not not unless it's egregious. Um, if you cross that gore line and then stay in that distress area, and I've seen cars do that passing other cars. Okay, sure, yeah, that's sure. Like it's getting written. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. No, thanks. For that that actually, I mean, thanks. For that that actually makes sense. And I, I guess I'm somewhat sympathetic to this because the the like the columnist is saying, hey, the, the officer asked me what I did, and I said I, I don't know what I did. And he said, well, you crossed the gore line. He said, what? That that would be how I would handle it. What? The G-O-R-E? I have no idea what that is, but it's that little triangle. And this this kind of makes sense to me. I mean, look, I I understand. My guess is if you wanted to write that ticket, you could probably just hang out at any any freeway on-ramp in Milwaukee County. And my guess is you could write 50 of those. Um, you you could be pulling people over as fast as they 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 went, and I I get the idea that it's 
that makes more sense to me. Okay, it's kind of a justification to stop a car to see if somebody's intoxicated as opposed to this is really creating a, a hazard. Now, I understand you could do it in such a way to create a hazard, but I, I think it's something that a lot of us um, – a lot of us do. Um, 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, we've got Juan in Wauwatosa. Juan, you're in WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Juan. I got, I got my license in 77, and my dad warned me about it because when we were little, he was pulled over for crossing the solid white line. Okay. And... <laughs> It's any solid white line, not just that triangle it's illegal to cross. So when the lanes are divided by a solid white line, right. you're not supposed to cross it. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, you never cross the solid you never cross the solid line. Yeah, and I guess I, I knew I, I've always known that. It's kind of like you, you, it's I'd like no pass. Called the gore line, though. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was illegal to cross that because he said we were pulled over when I was little. He had a station wagon with six kids in it, <laughs> <laughs> and he was, and he was. Hopefully, they didn't give him a ticket. I mean, if you got a station oh, wagon, <laughs> if you got a station wagon with six kids. You got enough going on without getting a big ticket out of that. Yeah. Uh, well, see, isn't that interesting though? You you learned you kind of learned the hard way. You know, dad, dad got pulled over and said, "Don't let him ever pull this o- pull you over with this." Huh. Right. Thanks for calling. See, no, I'm, we're 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 partly educational. That was that's this thing about the the column, and now now. At least everybody that reads the column or listens to the program, you can now go home and you can tell your spouse, hey, honey, you know, guess what? Do you know that little, that dividing line there, that little triangle that comes when you're getting on the freeway? That's the gore line. And, and don't, don't cross it or else, especially don't cross it late at night. You could get pulled over. Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're on WTMJ. How are you doing? I'm good. Hey, that, that gore line has been there for years. You probably learned that when you took your driving test. Debbie, who is your traffic right. lady, Talks about it all the time. The I'm gore line. That, Did, does she yeah, call it the gore calls, line? She calls it the gore area, but it's the same thing. Okay. And the, and the only reason that people are going through that is they're cutting people off because they're too impatient and they want to cut in front of somebody and get up there much faster. And and they should get a ticket. I mean, unfortunately, they don't give people tickets for stuff like this, but that's a law. It's it's. It's yeah. been known for years. Well, and think, the only reason people use it is to cut people off. Well, not now. Thanks. No, no, not necessarily. You, you, you can, but I mean, that I will tell you the times that I have have done this. And again, ignorance of the law is no excuse. By the way, somebody just texted me, Jeff. I did this just this morning. Getting on the freeway. Thank you for informing me about something I, I didn't know. No, I mean, I, the times when, look, I'm not intent, when I have done this, it hasn't been to cut people off. Rather, it's been, you, you kind of, I, I mean, I'm looking to get on the freeway. And if I see, if I see an opening in traffic, for example, if I go down to, okay, there's like an opening in traffic, I can get in. If I go down to the end of the ramp, well, then the, the traffic is going to fill, be filled in, and it's, I'm going to have to kind of force my way over. Now, I'm, I'm sure some people do it and, and do kind of force their way in as well. But I, uh, huh, I, I've just, I, again, now that I know about it, I promise, I promise that I will not violate, um, I will not violate the gore line. Um, okay, now somebody says, now at that hour of the morning, why would you cross it anyways? There shouldn't be that much traffic. And, and interestingly, in the column, he describes where he is. You know, we've had freeway construction now, and, and this is like around 84th Street, and I think it's, the, 
you you got to get over fast is what I think the the way the freeway is set up at a couple points of time is if you want to go from you know one exit to another you got to get over fast and that's what he was saying he was trying to get over fast you you can kind of, I'm having trouble exactly visualizing that new construction thing but bottom line is look I understand the law is the law I'm just saying I've never heard of anybody pulled over for this but be be warned we now thanks to Milwaukee Journal Sentinel columnist Jim Stingle we now have and this program, to an extent, we have now have no excuse. So, Gru, when you are driving home, just make sure well, you don't you don't have to cross the, the the Gore line to get to where you live. But but if you are on the freeway, just be aware of this: um, nothing good comes from ca- crossing the Gore line. Don't cross the Gore line. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's afternoon news. Please stick around.